Well, good morning. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment <clears throat> first to, to thank all of you. Today, I appreciate on behalf of the pastoral staff <clears throat> how you folks have just appreciated us through prayer and through the small gifts. And, and, and you know, that means a lot to us on the, on the staff because a lot of times uh, the ministry can be hard, but it's, we can only do it with your support and your love and care. And, and today was one of that representations of that. And we really appreciate that. And merely, we're actually just doing what God has called us to do. And whether it's easy or hard, if we're obedient, I know the staff uh, are just doing what God has asked us to do. Well, today, we're going to have a message about something that God wants us to do. And before we, we get into that, I want to pray for us so we can prepare our hearts for this morning's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our king and loving us as your children. As I always ask, may you uh, open our eyes to see what you want us to see. May you open our minds to know what you want us to know. And more importantly, open our hearts so that we may feel what you want us to feel. So the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. I thank you in Jesus' name. So I want to begin first by asking this simple question. Uh, how many of you are parents? Okay, there's a few of you that are here. Uh, another question that's a little bit more open-ended. How many of you are or were children? Okay, all the, all the hands should be raising now. All of you were children at one time. And actually, a lot of you probably act like children still. You know, as a parent... Once you become a parent, you, your life's kind of been transformed. And, and any time I go into to situations and I see young parents, it always kind of brings levity to my heart just to watch them become uh, kind of newbies in the whole field of parenting. Yesterday I was at uh, my uncle's 90th birthday party, and there was this couple who, who just had a newborn. And you can... Can, as a parent, you, under, you can hear and recognize a newborn's voice. Right? They're crying. It's, it's, a, it's a higher pitch, and it's, a, it's, a, it's something you never forget. <laughs> but I, I saw this couple, and, and just the joy and excitement, and the grandparents were next to them, too, at this table. And you could see the happiness that, the, that this new life is representative in their life. But... You know that parenting has its ups and downs, and, and as parents, we know those teaching moments that come with our children, right? They, they will come, and, and, and looking at that couple, they're seeing this young little infant, and there really isn't too much teaching going on here except just feeding, changing, and all that kind of stuff. But for parents, we know the time when we have to teach our kids, and so I, as parents, we all face this, and then my question goes to those of you who are children, which all of you were. I have a question that, were you the compliant child? How many of you were compliant children? Okay, some of you are. Now, if you're really honest, there is no way you could have been compliant all the time. Right? I, mean, I, I was never always compliant. There are only three reactions when a parent gives you instruction. Right? It's either you're going to comply with it, right, to follow through, the other one is you usually either ignore it 
It just goes one ear and not the other. Or the other reaction is you actually rebel, meaning because my parent told me to do it, I'm actually not going to go do it. That's total rebellion. So those are usually the three options that happens when a parent instructs the child to do something. Either you're compliant, either you rebel, or you totally ignore it. Well, our Heavenly Father has things he asks us to do. And these are sometimes called commands. And as children of God, often we can react in either of those three same responses. It's either we're compliant, or we are actually going to be rebellious and say, since you told me to do that, I'm not going to do it at all. But I think actually the worst response is actually to ignore it, to even forget it. So that's what we're going to look at today at the whole question of Sabbath, which I have entitled, my message is calling the forgotten command. That in many ways, we have forgotten the true meaning of Sabbath. And God is actually sad, saddened that we have not observed the appropriateness of what Sabbath is. Sabbath, in God's uh, eyes, is a day that he has devoted to us because he cares about us. And because he cares about us, he wants us to observe a day that he set aside. And, and as we've been going through this current series on Exodus, we've been learning about how the Israelites, God's chosen people, who have been in Egypt for many, many years, have forgotten that they are the children of God. And so as they have left Egypt, they've been freed from there, God is now taking time to remind them, to reteach them what it means to be his people. And it's like that parenting, parenting uh, moment that every, every parent has when you're teaching your child, those three responses are going to actually happen. Either you're going to be compliant, either you're going to rebel, or you're actually going to totally ignore it. And so here, God is going to remind us through passage in Exodus, which I want us to turn to. And it's Exodus 35, verses 1 through 3. Starting with verse 1. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Three verses, very short, but they are pregnant with a lot of meaning. And sometimes, without understanding that true meaning, we will not understand what Sabbath is truly for. And the first thing, actually Pastor Andrew mentioned this earlier uh, this morning, that the first thing we get from this passage is that the Sabbath is an establishment of a healthy rhythm for life. There are two parts to the week. There is six days, and then there's this one day set aside. There is six days of work, and then there is one day without work. So there is this contrasting of two parts in the week that is being established for, for the Israelites and for us today. In Exodus, we see this, this concept of Sabbath being repeated over and over again. 
if you read through Exodus, it's seen first, I believe, in Exodus 16, then in Exodus 20, and then here in Exodus 35. Actually, in Exodus 34, at the end of that passage, the, some form of the Sabbath is explained there and is repeated here in 35. Whenever we see something over and over again, it means it must be something that's important. And of all the Ten Commandments, why would God mention the Sabbath over and over again to the people of Israel? And then here, the, the, the command is different from a lot of other things God asks because it is formalized in the Fourth Commandment. And, and when that's in the Fourth Commandment, one of the Ten, it has a certain significance. But before it became a commandment, we have to go back and understand that this concept of the Sabbath was established in, a creation, in the creation story. If we go back to Genesis 2, where we see the creation of the world, God had already established the concept of Sabbath there. Although the word Sabbath isn't used there, the whole principle of what it means to have rest is established in that story. In Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3, just to read, to remind us all, verse 2 says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So there, in the beginning, in the creation story, the creation of the world, God established this rhythm for life. In his wisdom, he said, he said to us that we are not to work 24-7. That we are to have a life where there will be rest. Because if we don't rest, there will be no joy in life. If there is no opportunity to have a day of celebration, we would actually have a slow death. It would be a killer. It would drain us. In the creation of the world, God created for six days, and then on the seventh day, he stopped creating. And, and one of the things we are reminded in that creation story, right, that God created us in his image. So as his image bearers, we are to be like God. So if he worked for six days and rested on one day, then it is for us as his image bearers to do the same that there will be a portion of a week where we will work and it will be a portion of the work week that we will not work. And, and I don't want to be legalistic, so that means it has to be six days of work because I know some of you don't work six days a week. Um, but there is a portion mainly that the principle is that you will work a part of the week. And then I'm not going to be legalistic that you're going to have to have 24 hours where you're not working. But it does set this kind of contrast that there is a portion of the week that you're going to be working, a portion of the week around the day, and that would be good if you could get it about 24 hours where you are not working. And, and the reason why God set this up is that he wants us to have what is called margin. He wants to leave room in our lives that isn't monopolized by, by something that could preoccupy our time, and that is work. He wants to have us to have a kind of balance in life where there is time off so that we can reflect, refresh, 
And, and unless we understand this, this principle that, that, that we are to have some time off during the week, we're not going to lead a very fruitful or fulfilled life. It's a key that I have learned and have practiced, but I, 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 I encourage you and I actually compel you to, to understand the importance of Sabbath that God has designed from the beginning and now here in Exodus, he's actually reminding his people about because God has a plan for all of us. But that plan will not succeed or come to fruition or to its fullness unless we allow ourselves to observe Sabbath appropriately because that is the key to life. And so what is the purpose of Sabbath for mankind? We see that in verse, verses 2 and 3, straight out from the passage here, that for, for sure, Sabbath is for rest. And no other purpose, if anything, the Sabbath day is put aside for rest. Now, rest can come in different forms. And for sure, one of the forms of rest is physical rest, that on this seventh day, the day that whatever you reserve as a day of rest, it's a day where you physically rest. And we all know that part of rest is sleep. It's important to get appropriate amounts of sleep. Studies show that, that people who have sleep, and I think the number is getting at least seven hours a day, if you get seven hours of sleep, you will have actually a healthier life you will actually have um, a longer life. And, and there, there's a recent study, and I think I saw it uh, recently, about students. If you get enough sleep, your study habits will actually be better. A lot of times, studying more and being fatigued doesn't really help your performance. Getting rest will allow you to be more alert, more focused, than, than to actually pull all-nighters all the time. It's uh, something that, that God wants us to do, to actually rest our bodies and take time to do that. A lot of times for us on Sundays on the staff, a lot of times we, we kind of have to, at least for myself, on Saturday, the evening before, I have to kind of quiet down to prepare for Sunday. For, for my attitude, for my energy level, for my focus to be appropriate is to get enough sleep, enough rest. Because... Um, I know on the other side, if, if I don't, um, Sunday can be pretty, pretty tough for us who are in ministry. But, you know, physical rest is, is just one form of, uh, 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 of uh, rest. You know, sleeping is one way. The word rest, sometimes uh, we don't understand it. We misunderstand that word too much. It's actually more than just physical rest. It's also emotional, mental and, and spiritual rest. And that's what God intends for that particular day that we set aside as Sabbath. It's more than just physical rest. It's about emotional, mental, and, and spiritual uh, in nature. We get this more if you actually study the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for Sabbath means to cease. It means also to rest. It, it, it has also this connotation of an opportunity to breathe. 
to catch a breath. Um, I don't know how many of you play a lot of sports. I, I love to play sports. I play basketball a lot. And, and, and this is a common experience for those of us who play sports, and especially if you play competitively, is that no matter how good you are, how well in shape you are, every athlete knows when you play, play hard immediately, right? There, there's a moment where you start to, to uh, suck wind. Right? You get this you gasp a little bit. And depending on how well you warm up, that, that actually shows up in, in, in the competitive game. And then it's at that moment when, when, and it can be early in the game when you start to suck wind. And then you have to take a time out, you sit a little bit, calm down, um, you drink some water. But essentially your body is acclimating to the speed of the game. And then the second wind comes into you and then you can then proceed to play the rest of the game without having that, 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 that kind of sucking wind kind of experience. But that's the moment where we're essentially you're catching your breath. And for God, he has built into the week where the Sabbath day is a day where you've gone through the, the hardship of a particular work week. And then on the Sabbath day, he reserves a day as the Hebrew word implies as an opportunity to catch your breath. And a lot of us are working so hard, we are so stressed, from a work that we often forget to take that time just to pause and to catch our breath. And that is the purpose of the Sabbath days, is to take that time to catch our breath. The additional instructions that we see in this passage is a little bit more than rest. Um, in verse 3, it says not to light a fire on that particular day. Contextually, in that time, what does fire mean? Fire has, has particular uses. It's kind of a distinction of what modern man has. When uh, you have fire, you can cook. And when you have fire, it can also create light. And so those are the two main uses of fire. And in, in this context, in that time, what God is saying to the people there, don't cook on the Sabbath day. Don't light a fire so that you can cook food. A lot of it is that they want the people who usually have to cook, and usually it's the women who are cooking in those times, is to, to allow the women to rest on the Sabbath, that they would not have to cook. Eat leftovers. Or eat whatever you have and eat it cold. And then for the lighting issue is that Having a fire or candles or whatever, it actually it gives light. And that is actually man's way of controlling time. Because usually if there is just the sun, if you depend on just the sunlight, your day tends to end when there's darkness. But by having light and fire from a fire, you are extending your day, you're controlling time. And that's, that's in some Don't extend. A lot of us, right? That 
maybe on Sundays. For us, those who usually cook, allow other family members to cook for you on that day so that you're spared that, that task on the Sabbath. Or even go out, have a family dinner at a restaurant or something like that so that you can enjoy what Sabbath means is to rest from your usual pattern of working that week, which may be cooking the meals for the family. And then about the light in the day, try not to extend your day. Because with artificial lighting, we, we can essentially have almost 24-7 light. And then we can have businesses that are open 24-7. But on the Sabbath, whatever day you've chosen to be your Sabbath day, don't burn the midnight oil. Take time to, to rest. Now, one of the purposes of Sabbath is rest, but it's, it's more than that. In this passage, we learn that not only it is a day of rest, but it says that the Sabbath day is holy and to the Lord. Those words, holy and to the Lord, have very significant meaning. And this is the part where I believe we've often forgotten. I think the part about being having rest or ceasing from work is something that I think a lot of us practice and, and, and understand. But the part about the Sabbath being holy and to the Lord is where I think we often have forgotten. We get this from... Um, from the verses, but it is something that came out of the Genesis story again, the creation story, that that God intended from the beginning that the Sabbath, the seventh day, would be holy. In verse 3 from Genesis 2, it says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Essentially, God has set aside the seventh day to be sacred. It's sanctified. It's set apart. Essentially, those are the definitions of what holy what is to be holy to be holy is to be set apart to be godlike to be godly and the only way that we can be godly as humans is not because of what we have done it's only through what Jesus has done and only can we be more holy is when we are with God because through God we are then holy and spending time with God is important in that transformation. And so the Sabbath day, as God has, has ordained and has instructed us, is his day. It is a day to be with God. And, and that's the part that often uh, we don't quite understand. Now, back in that culture, now you have to understand here that... Um, uh, for, for that culture to, to stop working often could create problems. They're an agricultural kind of uh, community. And when you're farming, and any of you who know about farming, there's usually something that has to be done every single day. And for God to say on the seventh day, don't do anything. Essentially, God is telling his people, trust me, I will take care of you. So someone who is farming, for them to neglect their, their crops for one day, essentially they are in some ways saying, I trust you, Lord. 
And so God built that into to his rhythm of life, that there is one portion that is to work, and then one day where you rest. But not only to rest, but it is also a day that you say, this is your day, Lord. And by doing so, it had some practical um, reality in their lives that if they were a farmer or a rancher, whatever, that they would not do anything. That means they are sacrificing in some, some sense a portion of their livelihood to not do anything. Some of us have that kind of understanding too. Some of us come from families where our families, our mothers and fathers work seven days a week. You're in a restaurant business, grocery, small mom and pop rest, um, grocery store. You are open seven days a week because every day was an opportunity to earn some money to support the family. But God is telling his people, he's reminding his people that one day, trust me. And if, you, if you're familiar with the, the, the story of the, of the Israelites leaving Egypt, right? God supplied them with manna. And he gave them just enough manna, you know, um, bread from heaven, each day for that, st- for that just that day. But on the sixth day, he gave two portions. And he did that because he said, trust me. On the sixth day, you get two portions, and one of it is for the seven, where you're not to do anything. And in some ways, he was already preparing his people to the understanding of what it means to have a true Sabbath, not to work, not to, to uh, do anything, to rest. But more importantly, trust in the Lord. And a lot of us, we get our identity from the things we do. A lot of times, many of us, uh, our jobs, our professions, even as students, whatever we do gives us identity. And, and in a culture where there is kind of this nonstop 24-7 mentality, a lot of times this bleeds into all portions of our life. Who we are come from our titles, from our the, the work we do. God and his intention is to set a day aside where that doesn't matter. Remember, the scripture says the seventh day is his day. It's not about us. It's about him. It is about our God. And it's not about the things that we do, not our identity in what we do, not in the, in, in the titles that we have. On that particular day, it's about who we are. And then if we identify ourselves as the children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, then on the Sabbath day, it's not that we are doctors, lawyers, engineers, student, mother, husband, whatever. On that particular day, our identity is to be children of God. And that's what God wants us to understand on his Sabbath. And another way to say it is that is the day that we worship. It is the day that we are are to come to God as his children to worship who he is. Now, not observing the Sabbath 
according to the scripture verses from Exodus 35. In verse 2, it says that whoever works on the Sabbath is to be killed, put to death. That's pretty, um, pretty harsh re- uh, reality of a consequence, right, of not observing the Sabbath. But in many ways, it, it points to us that God is serious about this, that he is so serious about the Sabbath that he has to put it in, in the mix, mix of the Ten Commandments. He makes it a command. His original intent was not to have it that way, right? Out of the creation story, there's this pattern for life, for all mankind. But in our rebellious ways, in our sinful nature, we often drift away from God's commands, and God has to um, make sure we understand it by making it a command. And, and you have to understand for the Israelites, in many ways, the Israelites were no different from us. He is teaching them again for in, in this whole story in Exodus of how to be his people. They've been in Egypt for a long time, and they've forgotten what it means to be God's chosen people. They've lived with the Egyptians, and they have adopted Egyptian ways. They have adapted, assimilated. They have picked up other cultures. Um, They've also now begun to worship other gods. And here God has to kind of retrain them, reparent them, and one of the things he's teaching them again is about the importance of the seven-day seven day week. If you're not familiar with Egyptian culture, they have a 10-day week. So the Israelites were living under this 10-day week kind of format. And God is saying, no, I have established a seven-day week. And I did some research. We take it for common uh, understanding that everybody has a seven-day week, but it's not so. There have been times in history where other cultures have changed the seven-day week. Uh, And apparently in Russia in 1930, under the Communist Party, under the guise of being more efficient, they designed a four-day week. And then the people were assigned uh, days off, and then it was almost essentially everybody had weird days off. But it was all under the... Uh, principle of wanting to be more efficient. But what happened was that families were kind of discombobulated. They were all kind of messed up because if the husband had one day off, the wife had another day off, the children had another day off, holidays were all over the place. People's schedules weren't weren't meshing. And when they were going under that that structure, people were very unhappy. Also, the safety records at the factories were declining. Machines were breaking down because they were running 24-7 constantly for efficiency. But then also people were making more mistakes because they were all not happy in, in the family life. So the, the Russians had to kind of change it to, to realize this four-day week thing didn't work. But there underneath that, there was also um, cultures that do that. And the Russians were intentional in doing that, was to limit, eliminate Sundays so that people could not practice Christianity or their faith. So God here was doing the same thing for his children, the Israelites. Because when they were in, in, Israel, uh, in Egypt, they were slaves. And they could not worship God because they didn't have a day off. Slaves don't have days off. 
They were working every single day. And so they themselves were one of their own bondage. Could not worship God because there was no seventh day in Egypt because they went on a 10-day week, but also because they were working all the time. That God said for my people to be able to serve me, they've got to have freedom to have a seventh day. So it gives more meaning to to when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, set my people free, let my people go. And he also says, let my people go so that they can serve my Lord. The reason the Israelites in some ways were freed from Egypt is to allow them now to have a seventh day again, to be able to worship the God that, that loves them. So back to us. So how are you observing the Sabbath? Are there things in your life, just like the Egyptians, uh, the, the Israelites who were in Egypt, have you allowed things in your life to become idols? Have you allowed things to enslave you so that on the seventh day, the day that we are called to be holy and reserved for our Lord, are we there uh, allowed to to worship truly without being bonded to something else? Today, we may not get, you know, instant death for not observing the Sabbath. Lightning doesn't come down and strike you if you're not truly observing Sabbath. But I think if we're honest, if we look in our lives, if we feel stressed, harried, tired, I challenge you to actually look at how you are observing your Sabbath. If you are taking time and truly doing what God has intended out of his love that, that if we are not observing Sabbath appropriately, it will lead to a slow death. And there are some, some um, real um, consequences that are positive that if we observe Sabbath appropriately as God's plan for our, our lives. And one of the things we, we see later in, in, in chapter 36, which in some ways we could dismiss, but a lot of times if you study scripture, things are lined up for a particular purpose. And as I said, this concept of Sabbath is repeated over and over again. And it's not here just in Exodus, but later in other chapters of the Bible through some of the prophets. Whenever there is some reformation in the nation of Israel, it's always a reminder by the prophet or the leader in charge, to observe the Sabbath. And here, God says to, to his people, observe my Sabbath, because it'll be good for you. So looking at the chapter that's right after, uh, after the passage I, I, I've chosen this morning, in, in chapter 36, the people of Israel are, are asked to begin to build the temple. So they are to bring donations to help build the temple, rebuild the temple. Uh, and, and here, the people are so generous that Moses has to tell the people, stop giving. In, in Exodus 36, verses 4 to 7, it says, So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, 
the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they, what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. So evidently, just before this passage, there is a reminder to the people, and the people all committed to observing the Sabbath again, that when it came down to giving freely and generously, the people had no problem doing it. They were actually having so much that Moses had to stop them. Now, isn't that kind of a great opportunity for us to be likewise? For us, as I said, to be fruitful and fulfilled for God's work. Observing the Sabbath is key. Because out of that, as a result of that, there will be such generosity, such energy, such willingness to do his work. It's kind of a domino effect. So, Observing the Sabbath. It's not something that's going to be very easy for many of us. Some of it's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some discipline, accountability. And just to go through some practical applications, one of the things to observe Sabbath appropriately, at least for myself, is time management. Now, one of the things that's important to understand is that Sabbath is kind of a lifestyle. It isn't being legalistic. It isn't just going through uh, the motions. It has to be a lifestyle. And it isn't just, the concept of Sabbath isn't just for a week. It's actually for a year, for years. It's a lifetime. Um, there's this concept called the, the Sabbath ladder. In, in Andy Crouch's book, he talks about this. And, and the Sabbath day is also in relation to the sabbatical year, that every seven years, on the seventh year, we, we would rest. And then there's, in once in a lifetime, there's what's called Jubilee. It's about in the 50th year, all work ceases, um, slavery uh, is ended, all debts are forgiven. So there's this concept that Sabbath is a lifetime my adaptation of it, and maybe you can use it too, is that in my life, for for sure, in each week I have about a 24-hour period where I, I, I don't do anything really. I just relax, enjoy life, spend time with family. Um, for ministry folks, it's usually not Sunday because that's kind of almost like a work day for us. But from Sunday, uh, I'm Sunday, Sunday afternoon to Monday afternoon is my Sabbath. So I usually have not worked until um, about noontime on Mondays. And then starting from Sunday, uh, right after service, then I tend to start my Sabbath. And for all of you, if you can look in your schedule to be sure to check, do you reserve some portion of the week where you have about 24 hours? That would be a good thing. Then once a quarter, it's good to take, uh, for me, at least I, I I take a weekend off. So four times a year, a weekend off to just relax, to, to enjoy life, to, uh, it, to spend time with God. Do that once a quarter, one weekend off. And then for sure, once a year, take a week off. So there's this 
kind of built-in lifestyle to take one week off in a year, a quarter off in, uh, every uh, few months, uh, weekend off every few months, and then for every week, at least 24 hours to, to, to sit and do things that you enjoy and also spend time with God. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Hawaii, and that's actually one of the places I love to go to. And, and that is where I spend doing three things I like to do. One is to eat. Second is to sleep. And it's amazing when you're on vacation uh, how well you sleep. And, and if you don't have to have any timelines to get up, it, it just has a more refreshing time to sleep. And that, that is something that, that I enjoy. And for me, vacations are not ones where you go sightseeing a lot because that actually takes a lot of energy. So vacation, a true vacation, a time of Sabbath rest for me is just to do nothing and just to sleep. So to sleep, eat, and also sit at a beach just to soak in the sun and reflect on God and God's word, that is an amazing time for me. So if you can build that into your lives too, is that, you know, your vacations, look at your vacations. Make sure they're not just more work, more doing things. Is it truly something that is relaxing to you? You can boil it down, if you're like me, boil it down just those three things, eat, sleep, and, and just to sit idly. Uh, I think that you'll be a healthier life. The Sabbath is, as God says, is a holy day. So that means it's set, set apart. So what are we going to do on a holy day? Do things that are holy. And what is holy? Well, we get an idea that God instructs us basically just two simple things. Love God, love people. When we glorify God, we can glorify God by doing those two things. Love God, love people. And that's part of our mission here at Christian Lehman, right? But those are the two commandments that Jesus said are the greatest. And on the Sabbath day, on if you are doing those activities, then you are being holy. And that means three things. I break it down to personal care, one is to take care of yourself. That glorifies God because you are the temple of God. So the Holy Spirit is in you. So take care of yourselves physically on that day. And the other thing, have family time and community time. That means spend time with your families. To care for them. That's important. And, and also spend time with your community. And that means that's a day where we do ministry together. But also it is a day you can actually serve, serve others, do mission work, compassion work on the Sabbath. Because that will glorify God. Jesus did it. I mean, he healed people on the Sabbath. And actually he was criticized by the Pharisees for doing that. But if of all days, the Sabbath day is a day to serve your, your family, serve your community. And more importantly, besides serving your family, serving the community, serving yourself. The Sabbath day is to serve God. It's to serve and care for him. He cares for us, but in return, we are to care for him. And the way that we care for God is to spend time with him, to, to worship him. Now, how many of you have ever been stood up? Wow, okay. Nobody? You know, um, when you get stood up, right, it's not a great feeling, 
one of the things I like to do is um, one of my hobbies is watching um, Korean dramas. And then um, there's this common um, storyline that goes in, in, in dramas, right? The, it's always these love triangles, right? It's either two guys going after one girl or two girls after one guy. And they always have the scene. It's always in every single drama that one of the characters gets stood up, right? They make an, a, apparently make a date and the other person doesn't show up. And, and that's kind of a really bad feeling, right? And if you've ever been stood up, I had to think, you know, I haven't been stood up by any of my dating relationships, but I've been stood up by people where I've made appointments. And I remember one time where I was dropped off at a place where I was supposed to meet a friend, and they were supposed to take me back to, to Cal Berkeley, actually. This is back in college days. And, and that person forgot. And there I was sitting for two to three hours at this meeting place, and I was supposed to get picked up to go back to Berkeley, and they never showed up. And so... Obviously, I was really angry. I was upset, a um, little bit, uh, um, and, uh, totally messed up. And and that's the feeling you get when you get stood up. Is that when you get disappointed? But on the Sabbath day, in many ways, God is disappointed in us. That He has set a day from creation time reserved for Him. That this is our date with God on the Sabbath. And he's waiting for us. And so it's whether we remember to spend time with him. And it's okay to spend time with family. It's okay to spend time serving the community. It's also good to have the joys of life experienced for ourselves, our own personal care. But I think the thing we've forgotten and I think that's where the Israelites also had to be reminded that the Sabbath day is the Lord's day. And he has set up a date with us on that Sabbath, and he's waiting. And the question is for all of us, do we realize that? And do we spend a portion of that day truly spending time with someone who loves us? The staff is going through a particular book, which has been kind of freeing for a lot of us. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And it's forcing us to, a lot of us, to look at the baggage in our lives, to uh, look deeper underneath the surface of some of our, our emotions and some of our hurt and pain that we have. And uh, someday, probably, we'll have a sermon series based on that. But for us right now, as a staff, we're learning that we could never be um, spiritually mature until we are emotionally healthy. And the writer talks about uh, how a lot of times we only deal with 10% of our emotions. There's about 90% of it that's hidden under the surface. And when people look at us, they only see 10% of us, and they don't see the 90%. But God can see all of it. And he understands us, that he even still loves us by seeing all that ugliness that's in our lives. And on the Sabbath day, the day that we are to spend a date with God, is a time where God wants to be able to love us and heal us of that 90% junk that's in our lives. And, and 
in my own experience, that is what is so endearing to me about God, is that the time that I spend with him, through scripture, through prayer, through worship, is the time where I get to receive more of him. And it is through that receiving more of him, I am healed and then brought to wholeness. And that's the significance of Sabbath. Sabbath makes the number seven in the Hebrew uh, culture is perfection or wholeness. So on the seventh day, it is wholeness. And time with God, it is not being redeemed or, or being sanctified or whatever. Essentially, it's being made whole again. Remember I said, Sabbath means an opportunity to catch your breath. It is a time to be made whole again, to catch our breath, to pause in life, and then to be refueled, made whole again, to be able to go back out into the world. So I want us to kind of stand up together right now as an exercise to, to take a breath. Um, there's something in your, your notes that I printed out, and it comes from that book, um, Being an Emotionally Healthy Church. And I want us to kind of recite these words together because a lot of us, I know, have a lot of baggage in our lives. And a lot of these things we don't share with anyone. But God knows them, and he sees them, and he wants to make you whole again. And I think one way of experiencing God is not just in a personal way, but also as a corporate way. And I want us to read this together, and maybe it is an opportunity that the Holy Spirit can work through you during this moment, that you may actually truly experience God, that is a God that loves you and cares for you. So let's read this together, starting with the words, God gave us the gospel. God gave us the gospel to create a safe environment to look beneath the surface. I don't have to prove that I'm lovable or valuable. I don't have to be right all the time. I can be vulnerable and be myself, even if others don't accept me. I can even take risk and fail. Why? Because God sees the 90% of the iceberg hidden below the surface, and he utterly, totally loves me in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this time where you can speak to us through your word to remind us of the importance of Sabbath. And you tell us not as a, as a commanding father, but you do this because you are a loving, caring father. That through your intention, that this is the way that our lives should be. That we would have a healthy rhythm to life. That is a day that we can truly rest. And that we understand that. But more importantly, it is a day that you have reserved to meet with us. It is your day, Lord. A day set apart from the rest of the days. So that we be, can come and be received by you and made whole again. Lord, you are our safe environment. And may we continue to trust in that in our time this morning so that we may know, know you through the observance of Sabbath. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.